Today we're starting a brand new series where we speak to a friend who started studying Hebrew and what he's going to do for us is to fill in some of the blanks, especially in areas where we sometimes miss what the original languages portray to us. So there might be misunderstandings and I asked my friend Frick to fill these blanks in for us and I trust that you will enjoy this series just as much as I do. We will get into more detail as we go along with the episodes, but I trust that you will enjoy this uh, first episode in this new series. So stay tuned until right after the intro. Welcome to the Rise and Shine show where we help you to become the leader that you were born to be. The show is proudly brought to you by Sunshine Harvest. And now let's move on to today's episode. Today I've got a very special friend, a brother and a, and a guest with me. His name is Frick and uh, Frick and I have come a long way and uh, we really have a special relationship. And I asked Frick to share some truths with us things that uh, we really don't always understand and sometimes we have it a little bit wrong. So I uh, asked Frick to, to put his neck out to share some of these truths with us and I'm really looking forward to that. So Frick, welcome uh, with us today and I'm going to give it over to you so that you can just introduce yourself a little bit and then from there we can, uh, we're looking forward to listening to you. Good morning, beloved. Yes, my name is Frick or Frederick, Frederick in English, and I'm from South Africa, also a brother, and yeah, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm here from Pretoria. I'm a lecturer in the Department of Afrikaans and Theory of Literature. My speciality is linguistics or grammar. But uh, my latest interest is Hebrew, the original language of the Bible or the Old Covenant or Old Testament and everything related concerning the Word of God mm -hmm. in a literal and spiritual sense. So at the moment, I'm learning the language in order to understand the text better as well as the people who speak it. So that in short. <laughs> mm, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, thanks for introducing yourself. So you can go ahead and uh, you, uh, you lead us in the way. And like we discussed, if there's any questions and so on. So we'll just uh, pop that in and we'll, we'll see how we can enhance in any way if we can. Okay, so over to you. You can okay. go ahead. At first, a short intro. I heard a maxim a few days during an uh, astronomical meeting that struck me deeply, and I think it's relevant to what I'm going to refer to. And it says, if you're not registered to see something, you will not. So I think we can ponder on that for a while. The discourse was on halos, halos around the sun or the moon. The focus in our discussion will be on apparent deviations in or from the original Hebrew text. And 
it just reminds me of what Isaiah 4 verse 6 says. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge of my law where I reveal my will. That's according to the Amplified. A synonym will be to perish in the long term. This phenomenon on deviations is unknown to the uninformed and seems not that critical at first or its effects destructive. But if you look into the world view of it, the spirit behind it, that it represents thus darkness versus the light, then you realize that the effects or results thereof are devastating in the long term. And I'm referring to the time span of the book of Revelation from everlasting to everlasting. So that in short, the intro. Yeah, thank you, Frick. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very important for us to really understand because there's so many things that specifically uh, that we hear every day around the book of Revelation. And uh, there's so many doom and gloom around it as well. And that's why it's very important how we hear and how we listen. So, yeah, thank you. We, I'm looking forward to, to getting along with that. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to focus now on the Hebrew text. Mm -hmm. We all know that the ground text for the Old Covenant or Old Testament, as it is called or referred to as Hebrew. For the New Covenant or New Covenant, it is Greek, although some would argue that it's Aramaic, the language that Jesus and his followers spoke. So if, if I refer to the New Covenant, then it's not altogether new because Jeremiah 31, 31 refers to the new covenant. It is called in Hebrew, the Brit Chadasha. Brit Chadasha. You have to investigate the various ground texts and copies thereof to establish which are authoritative and which not. There are many any claims, but not always the proof to back it up. It is thus worth the while to investigate the various processes applied to transfer the knowledge from generation to generation, or to put it in writing. The whole process started with Moses in the wilderness. It is deliberated that he wrote the first five books of the Bible, what we know as the Bible. The Jews refer to those five books as the Torah. Now, what is a Torah? The Torah contains narratives or statements of law and statements of ethics. Collectively, these laws, usually called biblical law or commandments, are sometimes referred to as a law of Moses or the Mosaic law. Religious text. The Torah has a range of meanings. It can most specifically mean the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. This is commonly known as the written Torah. It can also mean the continued narrative from all the 24 books, from the books, book of Genesis to the end of the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Old Covenant or Testament. The Hebrew Bible, which is also referred to as the Tanakh, 
or sometimes the Mikra is a canonical collection of Hebrew scriptures, including the Torah. So I will quickly just refer to the books of the Tanakh. As said, the Tanakh consists of 24 books. At first, the Torah, or Pentateuch, or the five books of Moses. Then, thereafter follows the Nevi'im. There's the former prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. The latter prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And the 12 minor prophets, considered as one book, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And then you have the Ketuvim, which consists of 11 books. The three poetic books, Psalms, Proverbs, and Job, and the five scrolls, or Hamesh Megillot. Five relatively short books of the Song of Songs, the Book of Ruth, the Book of Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and the Book of Esther, and other books referring to Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. The canon of the Hebrew Bible consists thus of 24 books where the Protestant Bibles divide essentially the same material into 39 books. Okay, I'm going now to cover the Hebrew Bible manuscripts. The Hebrew Bible manuscript is a handwritten copy or a portion of a text of the Hebrew Bible or Tanakh made on papyrus, parchment or paper and written in the Hebrew language. Some of the biblical texts and notations may be in Aramaic. The oldest manuscripts were written in a form of scroll. The medieval manuscripts usually were written in a form of codex. The late manuscripts written after the 9th century used the Masoretic text, that is the Hebrew text. The earliest sources of the Hebrew of the Hebrew do not exist anymore. They were either destroyed or were lost during time, through time. The majority of the manuscripts that survived are in a fragmentary condition. If you look in the front of your Bible, you will find a reference or reference to the ground text that the translators used while translating the Bible. The oldest verse, version of the extant Tanakh manuscripts is the sil silver scrolls, around 650 or 587 before Christ, or as Ray referred to it, the, before the Common Era. During 150 to 70 BCE, you have the Dead Sea Scrolls that's written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. 300 to 100 BCE, you have the Septuagint in Greek. Other uh, manuscripts are the Peshitta, the Vulgate, that is Latin, and the Masoretic text in Hebrew. And here, the most important manuscripts are the Aleppo, 
Codex, the Leningrad Codex, and other incomplete manuscripts. The New Testament manuscripts. The New Testament has been preserved in more manuscripts than any other ancient work of literature, with over 5,800 complete or fragmented Greek manuscripts catalogued, 10,000 Latin manuscripts, and 9,300 manuscripts in various other ancient languages, including Syriac, Slavic, Gothic, Ethiopic, Coptic, and Armenian. But the reference to the Greek manuscripts and this reference that we read of today, that we will leave for a, a later stage. Okay, the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls are a collection of some 981 different texts covered between 1946 and 1956 in 11 caves in the immediate vicinity of the ancient settlement and Kirbat Qumran in Israel. The caves are located about two kilometers inland from the northwest shore of the Dead Sea, from which they derive their name. The Essenes in Qumran who copied the scroll approximately 100 BCE are not to be considered the protectors of an accurate text identical with the Tanakh, which would have been revered by the rabbis. They were actually far from the mainstream, and it is clear that the Q text of Isaiah is a dialect of Hebrew. It is not a translation, but is characterized by modifications in spelling and personal pronouns to match the then current Aramaic dialect that the Essenes would have spoken. Preservation of the original Hebrew letter for letter text was a role played by the rabbis of the mainstream in Jerusalem and Babylon. And they had a special class, an office called scribes, who carefully copied these manuscripts and kept the new and destroyed the old. The Essenes were not, and did not claim to be copiers of the same genre. The Qumran scribes used their own discretion to alter the text to fit their own dialect. Did you know, in Acts 5.28, of the King James Version. It reads, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, you, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. The Orthodox Jewish Bible this translates this doctrine with Torah. So Torah does not only refer to the first five books of the Bible or the Tanakh, but could also refer to doctrine or teaching, even including the New Covenant or New Testament. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting to me. And you know, one thing that I've been uh, uh, thinking about, Frick, as you as you um, uh, speaking, is these manuscripts, especially when they translated them into their dialects, because uh, yes. in my in my limited uh, knowledge, I I know that every letter in the Hebrew 
um, Lang, which has got a specific value connected to yes. it as well. How yes. did they translate and keep it uh, intact, if I can call it that, when they had to translate it into a different <laughs> dialect? Well, that's <laughs> how many hours do you have? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, that is just interesting. They were given a scroll and a text to copy. And after they copied every word, every sentence, every book, they had to count every letter. And mm -hmm. it had to count up to a certain value. Mm -hmm. And if not, if it runs, if there are more letters or so, they have to destroy that text. So okay. that's how critical it was. Yeah, yeah. okay. Okay, that was the original intention of these scribes. Mm -hmm. That was their office, what they, what they did every day. They had mm -hmm. to use a certain ink, a, a certain, yeah, they didn't have pens, mm -hmm. but like feathers and, yeah, what do you call those pencils? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, I just I was just thinking on that. That um, that's kind of interesting to me. Okay. Yes. Thank you. you can. Okay. You Something can on the history, the time span. When did it happen? Okay, it was the 13th century before Christ. There was the Exodus from Egypt, and Moses led the Israelites from Egypt, followed by 40 years of wandering in the desert. So that. Torah was written during that time. The 13th to 12th century before Christ, Torah, including the Ten Commandments, received at Mount Sinai, the Israelites settled in the land of Israel thereafter. Okay, now something on the scribes and the process of writing down the Torah. It is said that the scribes of Israel were a tiny literate minority in an overwhelmingly illiterate and oral-based culture. The dedicated scribes, those trained to pen down the writings, copied the Torah and the Tanakh through the ages by following strict and regulated prescribed and recommended processes whilst doing so. And there are many references to this to the scribes throughout the word of God, the leaders of the scribes and the Pharisees, even in the New Testament. So the scribes that shaped the Hebrew Bible as we know it. But when you hear Jesus' word, there's also reference to scribes and warning sometimes. So what is Jesus saying when he said, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? That is in Matthew 23, verses 25 and 33. There are many similar references or accusations in the word, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It refers to the Antichrist spirit in Jews, Judaism at that time. And then since, since then, from the learned, the elders, the scribes, the lawyers, the rabbis, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, 
These words were intended against the religious practices of that day. So we can ponder on that and even wonder about these, the impact of these words today. Let us get back to the focus of our discussion, the apparent deviations in and from the original Hebrew text. What happened and why is there an interest in this phenomenon? Otherwise, is this phenomenon at all significant or important? In order to answer this question, let us firstly consider two examples. And I'm only going to give, refer to two. Prior to answer this question, you yourself can then decide or discern what the answer is or should be. The most prominent verses to illustrate what I would like to convey is Isaiah 7, verse 14. Okay, the Protestant translations. For this thing the Lord himself, sh himself shall give a sign to you. Lo, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. That is from the Wycliffe Bible, but in the same Scripture reference, you have, Lo, a maiden shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. In one Bible, virgin and maiden. Another translation, Therefore the Lord himself shall, shall give you a sign, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a King James Version. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's from the ASV. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Listen carefully. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and she will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. That's from the Amplified. The Hebrew translation, therefore, Adonai himself will give you, you people, a sign. The young woman will become pregnant, bear a son, and name him Immanuel. God is with us. That's from the complete Jewish Bible. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the Alma shall conceive and give birth to a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Alma meaning young woman. The Hebrew Bible has a diff completely different word for virgin. The specific Hebrew word is Betula. This word has no masculine form and indicates the physical sexual status of a woman. It is always translated as virgin, as in Genesis 24, verse 16. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, the Asbetula, and no man had any relations with her. Now, if you compare this with the Isaiah scroll, column 6, Isaiah 6, 7 to 7, 15, I'm just going to refer to 
uh, Isaiah 7, 14. Then you find virgin. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. Even, that's what I heard from some of these rabbis from Israel. They said even the reference to young woman was understood at that time meaning a virgin, somebody without a husband or who never, who was never married, never had a man and so on. So, yeah, that's a reference to, to Isaiah 7.14. I don't know if you have any questions? You know, Frick, as I'm uh, listening to you, I just realized the importance where you specifically mentioned how Jesus took on the, um, the scribes on the, the warning that he basically gave to them. And yes. I'm just looking in today's day, and I mean, nothing to do specifically with, with the ancient languages, but even in society, how people take uh, the meanings of certain words, certain genders, yes. certain everything, and it gets changed to, to fit yes. in a specific agenda. And now I really get a glimpse of how important it is, and Jesus, how important he deemed that when he took on the, the, the establishment of the day, when he warned them of what they're doing. And, and I think we don't always understand the importance of this uh, because it can have grave con uh, consequences because whatever we do has consequences. And uh, so that is just what, what comes up to me. So that that's cool. Thank you. I, I refer to another situation mm -hmm. where I think from the context, we will understand what is uh, at hand. When Jesus was led to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and the accuser came to him, the whole time he referred back to the written text. It is written. Mm. And that is even true today when they try to change. the. That's why... There are people trying to change the text, and you find it especially in translations. That's mm. where the error crept, crept in. And that's why you always go back to the original Hebrew text if you're not uh, certain about a word's meaning. Okay. So either the Greek or the Hebrew. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Man, my... my Mind is just now going because um, Frick and I have been talking a lot on um, helping you to, to become streetwise. Streetwise meaning to really know how to use the word of God in our day-to-day -day living. That it's not just something out there. And so these yes. things are so, so important because many times, because if we look at the Torah, it's basically the law and what people today do, they take everything and they want to change it and legalize the things that yes. they want to accomplish. So, that's and it's got consequences. Okay. Of course. 
<laughs> of course. The second reference is Deuteronomy 32.8-9. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is the people. Jacob is a lot of his inheritance. And that's from the King James Version, children of Israel. If you look at the English Standard Version, of the same text, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob is allotted heritage. I got this from Michael S. Heiser, a biblical scholar who highlighted the above-mentioned discrepancies in the said text. We can deduct from the above-mentioned that the translators use different ground texts. The first translation refers to B'nai Yisrael, children or sons of, and the second B'nai Elohim. And Elohim is a name for the God of Israel as a single deity, frequently used in the Hebrew Bible. At other times, it may even refer to deities in the plural. But if you read Genesis 1 verse 1, and this is from the Hebrew study Bible. It's an interlinear Bible. Barashit bara Elohim. And the King James, with a strong translation, reads, In the beginning, God created. You do not need to be knowledgeable about semantics to realize that there is a big difference between children of Israel and sons of God. And I'm going to leave this discussion with that thought. And the conclusion. The above introduction highlighted apparent deviations in or from the original Hebrew text. Scholars are often attacked by others, which include a broad range of people, scholars and non-scholars alike, for highlighting these discrepancies. Nevertheless, they do exist and was pointed out. And next talk or podcast may cast a light on discrepancies in the Greek text of the New Covenant or New Testament. J. Preston Eby, for instance, highlights some of these in his Kingdom Bible Studies, a comprehensive study of the book of Revelation. My only hope with the above mentioned is to open the eyes to a phenomenon, phenomenon in our Bible of which we are not aware, due to the various translations. But as I've pointed out, there are these discrepancies, even in the ground text that we use. Thank you very much. Wow, thank you, Frick. I really trust that um, as we go along, that you will be able to, to 
enlighten us a little bit of of more of these things because to me it's so important because in the translations i realize how many things are being lost um for example even the modern english translations many of them and uh some people i mean they they meant well but i think uh in in other instances people did certain things or omitted certain things on purpose to mislead people so this is this yes. is so cool. Thank you very much for for sharing. Um, I really appreciate this, and especially uh, Genesis one verse one is very important or very special to me. Let me rather put it that way. Over the last yes. while, because that's um, really to point out for me where God really gave substance to everything just in that very first verse of of Genesis. Right in the beginning, we God created the heavens and the earth. So he made everything and he made everything in abundance to benefit us, to benefit his sons. Thank you, Frick. I really appreciate that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to a next chat and next podcast where we can dig a little bit more into some of these, some of these truths. It's very cool. I like it. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was great to talk to you all. Yeah, thank you so much. And for you, I I really trust that you really got something from this. Please leave us some comments, give us some feedback. And uh, we're really looking forward to you. And please share this message. Share it with with a family member or friend and anyone that that you think might benefit from this because this is an important topic. And as we just said, you know, we're going to dig into this deeper. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. So thank you very much for listening and we'll chat to you in the next session. Thank you so much for tuning into the Rise and Shine show today. Please hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with your friends and family. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the next episode.